my partner started selling boxes and that's a hundred pounds at a time. He ended up buying a jet. He ended up buying $300,000, $400,000 in cars. It started off as, you know, young college kids with like kind of this dream of selling pot to buying houses, jets, really doing big boy crime. I grew up on a small farm in what's called Bluntville, Tennessee. It's, you know, about 15 miles away from Bristol, Tennessee. Bristol, Tennessee, uh, it's pretty notorious for being uh, a town of two states. So one side of the street is Tennessee. The other side of state street is Virginia. Um, and where I grew up, you know, my story involves cannabis. So growing up in the South, you know, pre-legalization anywhere in the country, it was heavily, heavily criminalized. So meaning anything above 14 grams is a felony, you know? And so, and that's including, you know, if you have seeds in the bag, stems, all that's included, the bag is included. So you could theoretically have an eighth, but get charged with a felony just for having the wrong type of container. All right. Um, and so that's where I grew up. I grew up in a very small rural type area. You know, you know, I grew up Catholic, going to a Catholic school, choir boy type situation, never, Never thought I would even get into cannabis use, kind of, you know, you know, was kind of sheltered, you know. I, I didn't really have too much public schooling until my parents got divorced. And then um, and then uh long story short, I, I ended up in high school starting to experiment. And that was only because I wanted to impress a female. And I was like, dude, this girl's a, you know, she's a stoner, she's beautiful. I want to, you know, smoke weed. I'm like, and I always had been kind of fascinated about it because um, number one, growing up in the South, you know, there's a lot of rebellious type act behavior, whether it's like moonshine or smoking cigarettes or whatever you're doing, you know. So when people are talking about cannabis, it kind of just always, you know, sparked my interest. Um, so I so I ended up starting to smoke. Um, and the first time I smoked, it was with her and I didn't even get, you know, baked or nothing. It was like, wow, this is kind of weird. And then the second time I remember I was blitzed and she would always smoke this insane weed. She'd always buy by the gram back then. No one bought eights or it was in Tennessee. People were buying grams of dank for, you know, 20 to $25 a gram. And from then I was just like, I fell in love, you know? And then I, I will never forget. I, was working at a place called Cheddar's, which is like a cheesecake type factory place. And I was supposed to be a food runner. I trained to be a food runner. That was what I was supposed to be. And, and the the day of opening, the culinary assistant, the guy that who actually placed the food didn't show up. So they're like, hey, you're not running food. You're, you're being a culinary assistant. And the guy on the line was the former, well, I guess I don't even really know anymore, but he was a drug dealer, right? And he was the guy selling pot in the town. And so I'll never forget the first night I met him, he sold me a gram of weed on the back line, like plating food for $15 a gram. And I was uh, 17 at the time. Um, and, and I was going into my senior uh, winter session about to become, you know, graduate that spring. Um, and so from there, it went from, you know, I bought an eighth, an ounce a quarter pound all within like three weeks. And I went from a guy who had never smoked cannabis before to now, you know, supplying all my friends allegedly. And, um, it was, it was, yeah, it was, um, 
quite a quite an experience. And so with that being said, it was it was such a love. I'd wake up and you know, I would brew a cup of coffee for me and my weed dealer, and we would smoke a couple blunts, have a cup of coffee, and then I'd go to high school the last few uh, semesters um, or fa- last few months of this semester. Um, and then that kind of led me into college and college was just a real different animal. You know, I wasn't focused on selling grams to my friends. It was about who could we get a good pound from, you know, that's under, you know, thousand bucks, 2000 bucks. Cause like I said, weed there was going for $4,000 a pound minimum. And that's buying it at a, a wholesale level. You know, most of the time we were getting, I think we were getting, um, quarter pounds of the time for 12, 1300, just for a quarter pound. Um, so I, so I go to college, I'm 17, uh, just to kind of give you a little, you know, I graduate, I'm still doing my thing. I go to Brazil for two months, I come back to go to college and my dad's like, you cannot live in the dorm. You smoke way too much weed. You're going to get arrested here in Tennessee, live with your brother. And so I got an apartment with my brother and, uh, soon to be fraternity brother and my cousin. And I met through my fraternity, I had met a couple people and they were very significant people in my life. They became my best friend, Pledge Brothers. Um, I don't know if you know anything about the fraternal life, but a little bit. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, a a weird way to become friends. And you just it's just interesting because these two guys, one at the time now looking back on it, one was so experienced in cannabis and we were the same age and he was 17. But his family knew a lot of people from California. And so when he was 15, 16, 17, he was selling 20, 30 pounds, you know, a week easily. And, you know, you're talking a lot of money as a young kid in Tennessee, you know, his, um, unfortunately his father passed away uh, early on in his life. Uh, and so he was kind of, you know, one of three boys and he was kind of, you know, rebellious. And so that was one significant friend. And then I had another friend who I met in my fraternity who would then become a way bigger player than the friend that introduced us in the, in the first place. Um, and so college really um, is where cannabis then kind of went to the next level for me. Like I said, I was, you know, just selling it by nickel and diming, just wanting to smoke for free. And my life changed one day when I went to my fraternity brother's house. It was like, almost like that. So 70 show there, they had a green room and, uh, they so I'm in this green room and it was a very it was like almost like a communal green room like you would go there just to smoke pot as a you know you knew it was safe like the brothers didn't care that you know they always had random people there and I'll never forget them and um I'm smoking and at the time I got obsessed with making edibles because I would have so much extra cannabis I was like let's make some edibles and um so I made these blueberry muffins and this is where a beautiful relationship was formed I'm in this green room I'm smoking everything's good um, this guy comes in. Hey, man, can I buy a couple edibles? My friend said you have strong edibles and my other friends in the hospital, you know, he I forget what it was wrong. He couldn't smoke, but he was a big stoner from North Carolina. So he was like, do you mind if I get in? I was like, bro, here's a bunch of them. Take them to them. Have a good time. Like, because I didn't really care. I've always been very kind with my cannabis because I felt like it was something to be shared. And uh, he literally looked me in the eye and he said, you don't know who you just met. And I was like, no, I don't. What's your name? And he's like, Will. And uh, this Will character, I don't even know if it was his real name or not, but uh, he ended up being from Humboldt. 
And he was from a big farm in Humboldt County, California, in like the Eureka area and like all that big area, like the the Emerald Triangle, they call it. And he looked at me and he was like, dude, you're such a nice guy. I'll give you pounds for $1,200. And I looked at him. I was like, what? $1,200 for a pound? I was like, I'll buy one right now. And he's like, all right, if you give me the money, it will be there. And um, it'll be there in that free thing. It was like five days something like that. So it came in and um, it came in and it, it was crazy because it was terribly shipped, terribly sealed. And we were like thankful that it even got to, to Tennessee and we busted open. I sold it to four fraternity brothers, a thousand dollars a piece, allegedly. So I turned 1200 to 4,000 in 10 minutes and just made everybody's day. Cause they just got it for 200, $300 cheaper. And it was some of the best. I'll never forget. It was OG Kush. Like it was like the real OG Kush. Like you can hardly even find it on today's market. Like it was a very, um, like it was, like I said, a beautiful relationship. Okay. And um, so that led into um, getting another pound sent in. And I I, I think mailing it in, they were mailing it in from Humboldt to Tennessee. One of my fraternity brothers, who I'm about to actually tell you about later, this is where it escalates. Um, it's funny. It's funny because I, I got in trouble in 2013. So that's 10 years ago, uh, coming up December, I think it was 13, 12, 13 is when I got arrested 13. Um, my, my business partner, we have a legal hemp farm, Wax Brothers, and, uh, he got federally indicted. I want to say in 2018. So, there's a there's a long it's kind of a long progressive of a story so i graduated in 2012 right now what i'm talking about is 2012 the fall and going into 2013 i get arrested at the end of the year 2013 okay so so i get this this uh this connection in humboldt and one time i'm at my fraternity house and i was always the guy who rented a room at the top it was the window room i rented the window room I never really drank too much. Uh, you know, I, I tried to make good grades and I would sell the, I would sell my weed at the parties. And um, I'll never forget this big, highly respected fraternity brother comes up to my room. He knocks on the door and it's like kind of a hierarchy thing. You know, he let him in. How are you doing? Very nice to meet you. I've been like dying to meet you. You know, everybody talks. You're a legend in the fraternity. And he goes, listen, he's like, I heard you sell weed. And I was like, yeah, man, do you want some weed? And he's like, no, I just want you to take me home and I want to smoke with you at my house. Long story short. This guy was one of the most talented cultivators I've ever met to this day. And so therefore from that, the, and there was during the same period. So at that point I had a local grower who was growing like insane small batch indoor, which I would still buy it at almost $3,000 a pound. And then I would have my California connect having the $1,200 a pound flower. Both very high quality. One was to make money off of one was to really enjoy the connoisseur level of flower. So that's where I was. What I don't know what flower is. Flower is the actual like a cannabis flower that you like grind up, you smoke traditional way to consume cannabis. Okay. And so I, I, I know I know nothing about. Oh, cannabis. really? Yeah. Sorry. Oh, no, it's okay. It's okay. So if there's anybody listening, they'll know very familiar. What I'm, yeah, talking I'm sure about. I'll get some comments like Cox. What like, what are you doing? You don't know what, you know, yeah. um, but I mean, I've written some stories about, you know, guys that have sold, but you know, I've never heard that term, but anyway. 
So, so what it's, it's great that you actually ask what flower is because the next, the next part of the story transition in, into when BHO it's butane hash oil came to the scene about 2012 to 2013 in East Tennessee. That's what is now known as dabs concentrated cannabis. And, um, so I was steadily doing my thing, had no problems. I knew everybody I was messing with. Fast forward to like, you know, fall of 2013. My, uh, my brother, who's my fraternity brother, but my actual biological brother was dating a gal at the time. And she's like, hey, you know, I know you like dabbing. And, and my friend has, you know, a lot of wax. And he, he's a really nice guy. He's in this other fraternity. And I actually had no, knew him. Um, through another fraternity brother that grew up with him. Um, and so I started hanging out with this dude and, and I would sell him my super fire weed in order to buy all of his wax. It was a very interesting thing. And then at one point he was like, Hey, I don't, I can't afford this. Can you, can you front me And fronting means a consignment? I'm going to give it to you. Right. You're going to pay a tax. You're going to pay me off the back end. And so I was like, sure, as long as you can give me the dabs, because that's my whole thing. I'm a, I, I love concentrates. My you know, alter ego through law school was Dabino. And it's just like it's it, so dabs like hit a heart. I mean, I'm like, dude, I'll do whatever you want just to keep the dabs coming in. So this is where it, it got tricky. And my I started getting what was I at the time I didn't know, but I was being surveyed by local law enforcement, Johnson City Police Department and a organization called Tennessee Bureau Investigation. When you and say surveyed, you mean you mean like investigated? Investigated, like heavily investigated because at the time the guy that was giving me these dabs that I met through my brother's girlfriend, right. He had totaled a highway patrol car with like an ounce of cocaine in it in his possession. So he ended up having to become a rat. And okay. so who was the easiest person to tell on? Fratty Patty, the guy with the, you know, my hair was like long, you know, I had the, it was, it was very interesting time in my life. And, um, so I started working with him and these guys were surveying me. And, and at the time I also, um, it's funny cause I never even really got that much weed from this guy that I got in trouble from. But during my actual arrest, I had met another guy I got weed from, from work working at a burrito spot and it was um, a, a, the best burrito spot in town. It's kind of like Tex-Mex and, but it's really like um, family ran and operated. So it's just a really cool place to work. And this guy working was like, man, we're like family here. I'll do whatever. And so he would, um, he would help me out and get weed. So I went to his house, which was, this is leading kind of when I was, uh, it's leading up to my arrest, which was absolutely um, caught me off guard because when I was, when I was, when I got arrested, I had planned to go to Colorado on a Friday. I get done with my classes and I ended up getting arrested. And it this, but I'm going to tell you the full story of how I got arrested. And okay. um, so it was like an everyday and I finished my test and I go over to my friend's house. I, well, at first I go to McDonald's. This is where it's very key, key fact. I go to McDonald's to pick up money that this guy, John Doe, uh, that I gave him a pound he was going to pay me for. I get to McDonald's and little did I know I was being recorded, being recorded by Tennessee Bureau of Investigation over a single pound. And this guy gives me blue 100s. And I don't know if you remember, but when blue 100s first came out, it was like 2013 type time. They weren't very common. 
you know? So when I, when he gave me 40 blue $100 bills, I even remember in my head telling my lawyer, I was like, I thought it was crazy. He had 40 blue $100 bills. I had never seen more than like two at a time before. Um, little did I know that those bills, um, how Tennessee Bureau investigation, how they did it, um, if they got, these are Pokemon cards, but if they were dollar bills, they put them all like the same way and put a line, just a literal marker line, and then they shuffle them all up. So you can't see the line unless the bills are all facing the same way. Right. Um, so they recorded my conversation. I get this marked money. I go to my coworker's house and thank God I wasn't with my other fraternity brother guy. Cause he was, st- he's crazy. So I was happy that that never happened. So anyway, go over to his house and I hated his house in particular because it was in a school zone. So in Tennessee, how they have it, if you get caught doing any transactions in a school zone, there's mandatory minimums. Yeah. And so this was the mandatory minimum for this was two years, mandatory minimum. You're set, you're staying every single day of those two years in a, in a state prison. Um, so I go to his house. It's, it's Christmas break. He's like, Hey, do you want to make some wax? And so allegedly we were like, sure, I would love to. He, he got this beautiful flower. It was uh, biodiesel, which was a, like a popular strain. It's a type of cannabis. It was really popular uh, in 2013. So we make some wax and I, I take my first real big dab. Like I am almost probably the most stoned I've ever been in my entire life. And little did I know I was about to be arrested by like 17 cops. So I leave his house. Everything's normal. I see a a car following me. I see another one following me. I'm like, what is going on? Then I see the lights go on. I'm like, oh God. So then I go, I pull to the Earth Fairs parking lot. Um, I get into the Earth Fairs parking lot and I knew I was getting arrested. My gut feeling, there was no like is am I going to be able to get out of this? Like, no, you're not getting out of this. There's an open pound in your car. Smell is probable cause. There's a quarter pound in a lunch box <laughs> that I had in my front seat. That was just extra pot laying around. So you didn't think they were pulling you over because you, because you ran a stop sign. You knew exactly. No, these, somebody set me up. Oh, so yes. as soon as I left that and I saw all the unmarked cars, it just like, like I said, it wasn't a police like sting. It was like a real Tennessee Bureau investigation. And I was like, this is not good. Mm-hmm. And I, and, and, uh, so this guy, I'll never forget agent Richie Walker. He came, came to my window, knocked on my window and, and I'm like, I, I crack in. He's like, um, he's like license and registration, not a problem, sir. Insurance, everything's here. he's like, he's like, he's like, you know, you just left a known drug house off a of Seminole drive. And he's like, we can do this one of two ways. He's like, I want you to either consent to a search or tell me what everything, where, what is going on in that house, who's there, what they have. And I literally looked at him and I said, I said, sir, this is my father's vehicle. I can't give you consent to, to this vehicle. And he said, yes, you can. You can give your dad a call right now. And I said, Sir, my dad's a busy, busy man. He usually doesn't answer his phone at you know 2 p.m. in the afternoon. Uh, you know, I can't do that. And he goes, okay, so you want to do this the hard way. So he makes me step out of the car immediately, step out of the car. You know, uh, please step over here, hands behind your back. We're going to call the police dogs. 
And I'm like, you know, at this point, I know I'm fucked. I knew I was screwed. So I, I so they bring the drug dogs in and I'm standing there, you know, hands behind my back. And one officer's telling me how I'm, I'm never going to be able to even graduate college. I'm going to be a convicted felon. I'm going to serve, you know, good cop, bad cop. Right. So this guy's telling me this. The other cop's like, hey, man, it's really not that bad. You're just a college kid, blah, blah, blah. Just please tell us where everything's at. Minimize your exposure. And I literally was like, I'm not saying anything because I I had um, previously was like a handyman for my dad's criminal offense attorney who handled contracts. And so he always said he's real Southern Virginia guy. And he said, don't say nothing. And so at that point, I was like, yeah, I'm not saying anything. And Richie Walker, the big agent, comes over and he's like, uh, he starts asking me questions and I, I'll never forget. I asked him, I said, sir, is this real life? Is this really happening? And cause I was so stoned because I just took a huge dab and he's like, yes, you're really getting arrested. And I was like, I was like, you, you can't arrest me. He's like, yes, I can. He's like, I can take your car. I said, how can you take my car? He said, Mr. Quinn, I seized a private jet last week. What makes you think I can't seize this little ridge line here? And I was just like, Oh my God. And, uh, and then, then I said some regrettably stupid stuff to the cops. You know, he comes up to me and he says, what are you going to do with a felony on your record? Are you, gonna, you can't go to college. You can't, you're going to be a, what about, he starts ridiculing me. And I looked at him, you know, and, and I'm very thankful for my parents. They've done very well. And so I looked at him and I said, sir, I'll take a hundred thousand dollars out of my trust fund and start a business. What are you going to do for the rest of your life? Bus kids for pot. And this man, I'm not kidding you. Grab me by my long hair. I'll have to send you a picture after this. Grab me by my long hair and just boom right on my window of my car. Slam my head. And that was that was it. I was like, yo, I'm not fucking opening my mouth again. This is crazy. Like then he, he said, I'll let you make one call. Who do you want it to be? And I was like, I'm going to call my dad. Like, fuck this. I'm definitely getting arrested. So I call my dad and they made me they made me, you know, do the whole booking. I got arrested on felony. Um, conspiracy it was like conspiracy possession to sale in a school zone like this whole ordeal like looking at two years mandatory minimum potentially could even go higher it was really scary i get to the jail and this was this is pretty funny they put me on uh, like a high bail like as if i had murdered someone type of thing like, i think it was like two hundred thousand dollars and my dad's like, I don't have $20,000 cash. Like, you know, my dad's a doctor. He's a very old school guy, like credit card, pays it off to every month. It's like, who the fuck has cash just laying around? So he calls his mechanic who knew a bail bondsman and they ended up bailing me out that night on just a consignment deal. Like just thank, you know, my dad's like the little local doctor in the rural town, you know? Right. Um, so then, so then I get out of, of jail and, um, it was the most uncomfortable feeling I've ever had. Not because I got arrested. I really didn't care about that. But just the look of not disappointment, but almost like my dad wanted to almost kill me type vibe. Because he looked at me and said, I will never forget. This is a true quote. He said, I don't know if I'm going to cry for you or punch you in the fucking face. <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, my God. Um, and so that led to a full two year process of litigating my, my case against me. Cause I was in, in an actual sting operation where they had an informant that had marked money, recorded my conversation, how I was about to pick up the best, the best flower for him. 
Um, and so it took full two years of litigating. And we ended up doing what was called at the time. I don't even know if the Tennessee Penal Code allows this, but it was called felony judicial diversion. So the judge allowed me to complete an extensive list of things, which was like an 8% completion rate to earn a set aside slash like an expungement. You know, so my record would be sealed, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and part of the condition was, I kid you not, was going to intensive outpatient rehab with real criminals that did real drugs. And I mean, at that time, I mean, I could see I can see that being part of. Yeah. And, and I'll never forget. I was in there with a guy who was one of the, the best federal money counterfeiters in, in the U.S. history. And he passed, I think, I think it was like 10 out of the 13 bill tests they have at the federal level. Um, and so long story short, when rehab, it was um, an eye opening experience. You know, it was very heartfelt. I realized that I didn't want to to necessarily, you know, do hard drugs. And I never really wanted to ever. But then actually seeing the impacts and even alcohol abuse. You know, I saw some people that were in there for like drinking, beating their wives type thing. And I was right. like a young 19 year old kid like, what the fuck? Like, this is crazy. So and that leads kind of like into the other like exponential side of things too on my, on my business partner side. Cause it's hard to tell my story without telling his story. Cause we were, we were business partners in, in this, this cannabis stuff. And um, so I get in trouble over one single pound. I remember I cut off everybody for a year. Cause my attorney was like, Hey, you can't talk to anybody. They want you to tell on everybody. And I come from an old school family. Like you do the crime, you do the time. Like you're not telling on nobody. I don't care. Like that's how my dad is. Like he's like, one time I got in trouble with uh, allegedly throwing water balloons at a homeless person in Virginia. And I was driving my friend's older brothers and they take it really serious. It's There's a missile they call a water balloon in, in the state of Virginia. And the, and the cop that gave me my tickets, like you'll see a counselor. And no, it was a judge. And I had no attorney. So my dad was my attorney and my dad requested them to give me the max when I was like 16. So that was no sympathy there. So, but as I was in trouble going through this rehab, I, I contacted my, my partner at this time, this guy had exponentially grew everything. You're talking from one single pound to 25, 50, a single box. You know, so he went from I went from supplying like your small local dealer to my partner supplying everybody and their brother at a wholesale level. Right. Um, you 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 really at the time. It almost felt like we were in a movie because here I am, I'm fighting for my life on felony probation not even felony probation yet felony court. I go over to my friend's house and he's like a trap star. I mean, he had money, watches, girls go out to the, go out to the, even, even as funny as this, cause I think about it compared to some of the stories I've seen in California being a, a criminal defense attorney. I mean, you're talking about $400 at B-dubs in Tennessee, you know, Buffalo wild wings. That's, that's not, that's not something that's like, you know what I mean? That's, it's not like, uh, 
it's a little flex in Tennessee to be able to do something like that. Not care to go buy a $2,000 cabin to go gamble five grand at the casino. Like this was a, a very small town. Like, you know, it was crazy. And then it ended up um, being to the point where my partner started selling what was called uh, boxes and that's a hundred pounds you know, at a time. And so this guy that he was working with was getting it from Oakland and through Oakland, he, he would supply everything. I mean, the, some of the best cannabis that I've ever seen still to this day. Um, and it was all flour. That was all he sold. There was no carts at the time, cartridges or like vape cartridges. There was nothing like that really at the time. Um, and then uh, the DEA started investigating them. And so the DEA started investigating my partner and this other gentleman. And it was, it was really a full circle moment because the postal inspector, um, it goes back to the original uh, person I was getting my cannabis from in Eureka and Humboldt. We ended up stopping doing that because we had packages seized by law enforcement. One of the the uh, postal inspectors, his name was Postal Inspector Rob is what he called himself. And he always came in like a luau shirt. Well, he had busted my partner in college and said, hey, quit this shit. This, this is a simple pound we're taking. You're not going to get in trouble this time, but you're on the radar. Well, my partner, I guess, didn't get the memo. And so here I am. I finally get my felony granting of, of diversion. My partner's trapping harder than ever before. I get on felony probation and it was very strict. Uh, you know, I'm having to pee in front of an old man, literally looking at me naked. Like it was, it was not, you know, what, uh, an easy feat. I remember at orientation, felony orientation. Uh, once the judge granted, I go to, it was an orientation, literally. It was like a Knights of the round table of all <laughs> felons. And some people had got out and were on parole. Some people were just starting like me. Like, never forget, I met a guy who got caught with uh, like a few hits of acid. And he had done like 10 years, full 10 years in the state penitentiary. And he was finally out and doing felony probation. Um, and that's when I realized that the criminal justice system is completely set up for failure. Um, and by the grace of God, I got the nicest probation officer in the office named Mr. Uh, Mays. Um, and Mr. Mays, at first, it was a very strict probation officer. But as time went on, he let me have my freedom the last uh, six months. And by the grace of God, I got off felony probation. Um, I got felony probation. And at that point, I uh, no, there's a key. There's a key aspect you wanted to bring up too, because I was on felony probation. Po un unexpected to us, postal inspector Rob was investigating my partner. Everybody knows I'm on probation because of small town vibe. One day I don't go to my mom's house for the weekend. I stay at home. I get a box and I'm like, what is this? I open up this box and it's like pounds on pounds of weed. So I call my, my partner. I'm like, yo, what the, what is this dude? Like, is this you? And he goes, fuck, I'll be right over. And I was like, I remember I, just, I yelled at him and I'm like, man, out of everything we've been through, I've had to bond out, pay a lawyer, fight a case. Now I'm on felony probation and you send this shit to my house. And so he, he got crazy with it. 
you know, and uh, the guy that he was um, working with got crazy with it too, because he ended up buying a jet. He ended up buying um, like $300,000, $400,000 in cars. He bought cleaning businesses. He bought, I mean, it was to the point where it started off as, you know, young college kids with like kind of this dream of selling pot to the point where the people we were helping move this cannabis were buying houses, jets, you know, really doing um, big boy crime, you know, really money laundering. And that's what my partner ended up getting indicted for was a huge indictment of money laundering conspiracy, but at a federal level because postal inspector Rob had tracked down almost everything. But you're out of it by net. By this point, you're just finishing out probation, right? You're not correct. By the the grace of God, I never got brought into it because at this point, me and my partner had started a, uh, a business, started a business and the startup money came from this guy. That was the, the guy, the head guy. And I'll never forget my mentor attorney called me and he's like, dude, I can't be associated with you right now because of this. He's like, you got me freaked out. I'm checking your partner's indictment every like day, pretty much. Um, and so it was, it was a very crazy thing. So I ended up getting my case dismissed. Never, never, it's not on my record anymore. Um, but it, it really defined me as an individual. And when I mean that it, number one, it really made me lose kind of trust to an extent. Um, well, it kind of goes into the other story that I got to tell too, to reflect on it, but it just really raised awareness on the racial disparity because I was able to get my case dismissed. No problemo. Right. Uh, after paying a lawyer, a premium coming from Nashville to East Tennessee, uh, I have a friend who's Puerto Rican and Dominican and, you know, he, he doesn't have, you know, parents that have that much money and he couldn't hire a private counsel and he's a convicted felon over half an ounce of pot with seeds. Um, so from that, when I went through my experience, becoming friends with him, seeing his experience and outcome, actually having to serve jail time, it never sat right with me. So that led me into my entire uh, career. You know, I was already studying criminology in college. I was already wanting to become a lawyer. I really wanted to to make change in the system, not just um, be another you know pawn in the game, but really be a game changer. Um, and so that's kind of what led me into my actual career. And so I met uh, Mark and Craig, the Pop Brothers at Law, um, very early on in their Uh, debut online. It was about my junior year of college. This is right when I was getting off felony um, probation. And like I reached out uh, and, you know, I I told them, you know, what I wanted to do and it it was a great fit. Um, And that led me to traveling the nation to, to actually really getting a lot of experiences, like really meeting George Jung, you know, from below and, and really meeting some of these big criminals like that, that then ended up, you know, you know, telling their stories and, and really having, you know, really impactful conversations. And I think it all boils down to now me, um, 
looking at my path from date of arrest, 10 years later, you know, I'm out of law school. I, I, you know, don't sell weed. I do social media management and, um, and law. And so I always tell people just because you were in a situation where you've been in trouble, you've had to go through the ringer, you know, that doesn't define where you can go. Um, and so that kind of, that's like my personal story now, you know, building piggybacking off my partner's story, he, uh, you know, he got indicted, you know, and he pled guilty. He had, a, he was the last to the table, meaning everybody pointed on him and he was the last to the table. So he got the butt end of the stick. Uh, he went to jail. Um, but he had the same mindset as me and he was always, uh, infatuated with numbers. You know, he's dyslexic. Um, and so when he got out of jail, he started doing pallets, flipping pallets and the, uh, the pallet business is is just like any other you know drug or any other thing. It's just numbers, um, and he found tremendous success through flipping pallets, even after being a convicted federal felon. Um, and it's been very interesting uh, for me to see people that I know personally been in trouble and still have success and not let that define them. Because I think there's a lot of people that get in trouble. And they think, oh, this is it. I can't do anything. Um, so like I always like to speak when I tell my story to encourage others that if you have been in trouble or, you know, are in trouble, you know, it's not the end of it. It's not all say be all. You can file for expungements later on whenever you complete probations. And I encourage everybody to try to look into that if they've been convicted, um, because most of the time it's a simple form and you just file your form and you get expunged. You know, lawyers charge tens of thousands of dollars for it. But, you know it's actually very straightforward. So I just like to always encourage people of that. It's a little harder federal. The federal is you got to get a pardon. And and the pardon is it's a long shot, you know? And, and that's when, uh, when you're talking about crime and, and criminals and, you know, my whole thing is cannabis. Like we, like we've been talking about, and, you know, we still have, you know, upwards of 30,000 plus nonviolent, you know, cannabis offenders in the federal system that are, you know, still serving their time. And at this point, we've had multi-billion dollars of investments from, you know, all around the world pouring into the cannabis sector uh, when there's still people in jail, you know, and I think it comes down to, it's kind of almost like a human rights issue. Um, I don't think it's fair or right. And I think most people agree with that. Uh, but it is what it is. And then you got to even think about today that cannabis is still criminalized and people will be like, maybe listening, like, what are you talking about? Cannabis is legal. You know, it's legal to an extent. You can only possess a certain amount. You, you know, if you can't smoke it in public, you can't smell like it in drive. I mean, it's pretty strict still and still highly criminalized. You know, we see, you know, at our office that we work with, we see, Dozens of people get dozens and dozens of people get cannabis DUIs. And a lot of it is just because they were speeding and they smell like cannabis. So the officers try to corroborate the two and equate, you know, impairment. Um, so how did you, so right now, what are you doing? So right now I am, I work for a workers comp firm and a criminal defense firm. So I write motions for a criminal defense firm and I primarily do workers' compensation with helping 
uh, injured workers getting you know money from insurance companies. Right. So this is the 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 Pot Brothers. That- the Pot Brothers at law. Yeah. So I I was um, interned to kind of associate with them, and then. I had what's called a provisional license through COVID. So I never even took the bar and they gave me a license to practice under Mark Wasserman. Um, and Mark and I, uh, we we did a lot of great things when I was licensed for almost three years. And right now we're actually uh, writing in opposition to a motion from the district attorney uh, that we actually had a DUI diversion granted, meaning we had a client that got a cannabis DUI and we convinced a judge to grant cannabis. diversion and um, and then the DA came back two years later saying that her dismissal should be set aside and she should have a conviction because there was some case law that came down a couple years after we had entered this motion. Um, and that case is really frustrating because that's a single mom who works for a, a very reputable city here in California, first time offender, and her DUI stems from not using a turn signal and possessing an unopened uh, cannabis vape. And that's what they wrote her up for a DUI. And she said, and they said that because after they arrested her, so took, she wasn't impaired. She was she not. impaired. A, she just, okay. She just had an open. No, she didn't even have an open. They just said, because she didn't use a blinker and she had some cannabis in the car that she was impaired. And then they take her blood. So this is their, this is how they get you. Once they say, Hey, you're, you're arrested for DUI cannabis you got to submit breath, blood, or urine, right? If they, if they request it. So especially with drugs, so that you will do blood. Anybody who uses cannabis, it stays in your blood for days, you know? So she had cannabis in her blood, which is makes an argument for them to say there was impairment accompanied with no blinker and cannabis. Um, and it's just crazy to think about of all the things they could be prosecuting in Los Angeles County that they would go to the full extent to try to have a hard working single mom's dismissal be set aside. I just think that's asinine, you know, and I, they base it on a a vehicle code that's 40 something years old. So much of the legal uh, system is, you know, asinine. So. Right. It seldomly uh, is it connected to logic. Um, It's, you know, more like they're just trying to, you know, gain points. Um, (laughs) so, um, okay. So that's what you're doing now and you're doing stuff with the pop brothers. Yeah. So I was a, for, I do uh, have a, we, from all this cannabis stuff, we created a brand called wax brothers. Um, and we're a licensed, uh, hemp farm in Tennessee. Uh, we started in 2018 and it was right as my partner got indicted, actually. Um, and, you know, he's not on paper, a partner, because he's a federal felon. So his dad is my partner on paper. Um, but we, we, we had a nice project and we killed it. Um, unfortunately, we're currently in a lawsuit. Someone stole 24,500 pounds of our hemp that we contracted with. Um, and we've been in a very uh, serious civil dispute uh, for almost four years now. And so they, they, they got it and just, they said so they received it and didn't pay for it. They, well, no, what was, we did a deal for, we did it. It was supposed to be a deal where we delivered, we pay you X amount, you extract it, 
you give us the concentrate, we sell it as we go, and we pay you the rest of your tab off the back end. Long story short, they didn't even have the license to extract. They didn't know what they were doing. They were kind of trial and error. Uh, and after deposing them and all this stuff, we found out just it was a complete shit show. Um, so we sued under the New Jersey Fraud Act. Um, and that's been going on for four years with a final arbitration date uh, coming up any day now. Uh, the judge in arbitration, these guys, these old retire mediator arbitrating judges, they just are so slow. They don't care. Even if it's a lot of money, um, right. they just don't care. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, I mean, I hope that works out. Yeah. I mean, time will tell, you know, like I said, you know, it's, you want to do big business until you have big business problems, right? You know, everybody wants to have, you know, the big glamorous farm and see all the stuff, but at the end of the day, there's risks and that was part of it. So what, what, and what did the pot brothers uh, do? The pot brothers of law um, were criminal defense attorneys and cannabis licensing experts here in California. So we help people uh, get licensed and be compliant. We help them associate with the right vendors. And then on the other side is, like we said, so when people are operating, there's still people that get arrested. Uh, and there's regular people every day that get arrested. So uh, we serve the Southern California and all the state of California for criminal defense needs, um, ranging from jaywalking to, you know, you know, pretty much anything unless it's, you know, we, we like to stay away from, you know, domestic violence to an extent, you know, we don't want anybody, we don't really do murder cases, um, primarily drug cases, uh, you know, stuff like that, but we handle all of the DUIs, stuff like so that. Are, is, are these, are they on TikTok? Yeah. So the poppers are law, we're on all social media. So they are on uh, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, um, they're known for what's called the script It's the 25 word script that makes sure you, all your rights, remedies, and defenses for court are reserved for when you go to court. We tell people it's not something that's going to get you out of jail free card, but if you get arrested and you stick to the script, you're going to have the best defenses for your attorney to use. Um, because admitting guilt and consenting to searches, all that stuff, you know, it's not, uh, it's not in your favor. But to answer your question, yes, they're on social media and like, um, you know, they've, they've done work with Snoop, Matthew McConaughey, Daniel Tosh. Uh, they, the, you know, they've done work with a lot of cool people and, um, you know, they're, they're continuing to grow. You know, right now I think they're at like almost 750,000 followers on Instagram alone. Uh, you know, I think they're at 400,000 on Facebook. Um, I, I don't know the numbers as well as my partner does, but I can assure you that when you re retain them, you get guys that care and love what they do. Uh, and I think that's why they've built a good reputation in the cannabis community mm -hmm. and like the Southern California area just for being straight up because they're not going to tell you what you want to hear. They're going to tell you the reality of the situation because there's a lot of attorneys that just take your money and then tell you what you want to hear until you're out of money. And then that's it. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I'll, uh, I, probably, I, I mean, I, I know that, I should probably interview them. That would be a good interview. That'd oh be yeah, a good, I mean, Mark, good interview to connect with your interview. Actually, yeah, yeah, Mark and Craig and and I love the thing I love about them is they knew my story from the get go. And so Mark always tells people, you know, he was my felon intern to associate attorney, you know. And um, Mark is really like my my uh, biggest, you know, cheerleader. Always supported me when I was 
even freshly uh, provisionally licensed to the bar, we were doing some like very intensive motions and people were like, this kid's going to argue these motions. And Mark's like, yeah, and he's going to win them. I, I have no doubt. And we won them, you know, and then um, it's been a blessing. Did you, did you ever pass the bar? No, I haven't passed the bar yet. So I'm taking the bar in February. So okay. my provisional license expired in May of this year. So they gave it to me from 2020 to May of this year. And then um, it expired. And so now I just do motion work. So now I just, you know, help write the motions and Mark will then argue those motions on the record. And then in workers comp, uh, it's administrative court. So you don't have to have a license to be a hearing rep and appear on the record there. Right. So with my experience, uh, I do some hearing rep appearance work uh, with workers comp. And I always have loved to help people. Both my parents are doctors. So like I really uh, like helping people in law, especially both sides, criminal defense and workers comp. You know, I'm helping injured people, you know, either get a medical buyout that they need or get the medical treatment that they are due through workers comp. Um, In criminal defense, like I always tell people, I'm helping good people out of bad situations, similar to myself. You know, I was a good person in a bad situation because someone else had totaled the police car and had an ounce of cocaine in its possession. It got me felony charges, felony bail, intensive outpatient rehab, like the whole nine yards. I forget what the fines were. The fines were crazy. Like it was just, it was set up for failure, but through and through, I, you know, I just stuck it out and I really just um, believed in, I wasn't hurting anybody. And if I was in California, this would be technically legal. Um, you know, so I, I, um, I'm thankful for how everything panned out and I'm happy to be able to have a platform myself and for, you know, being able to be with the pop brothers a lot to be able to help, you know, I think we hit like 7 million accounts in the last 30 days, you know, 10 million accounts. So it's just nice to be able to help these people understand their rights when engaging with law enforcement, understanding, you know, where to store your cannabis properly understanding that, you know, you don't want to tell on yourself. It's just, it's, it's a really big blessing, you know, cause we get DMS and we get messages all the time and people thanking us. And, you know, I get clients, you know, messaging former clients messaging me on holidays, you know, thanking us for our service. So it, it feels good to really help out the community. Cool. All right. Well, good. I, 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 I appreciate, listen, I appreciate you coming on and um, you know, uh, being interviewed and speaking with me. And so, um, is there anything, any, anything you're pushing, like any social media links, any, do you have anything like that? Or it's just, you're kind of under their wing. No, I'm, un, I'm, I'd like to say I'm under their wing when it comes to the the criminal defense and, and stuff like that. And speaking platforms, we usually attend the same events. Um, you can check us out. Pop brothers allowed all social media. My, my brand is wax brothers. That's kind of, you know, my journey of getting arrested. We we still stuck it out and created a successful farm. And, you know, we're looking to expand into the hemp market in Tennessee and then hopefully one day international. Um, but yeah, so Wax Brothers and Pop Brothers at Law. I'm Patrick, the Dabino, as people call me, because um, I love concentrated cannabis. Um, and so if you guys ever need anything, feel free to reach out. We love helping people. We love, you know, chopping it up in the DMs, emails. Uh, we like to communicate with our following. All right, cool. Um, all right. Well, hold on one second. One minute. Not a problem. Hey, I appreciate you guys watching. Do me a favor, hit the subscribe button, hit the bell. So you get notified of videos just like that or just like this one. And, 
Um, leave me a comment in the comment section. Share the video. And please consider joining my Patreon. Thank you. See ya.